Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. I am joined by the excellent Alison Rudd, the wonderful Julian Lawrence, and the juggernaut, Matt Hughes, speaking to us from his lair in Richmond. We start at Wembley and the League Cup final. Alison, um, I'm going to start with you because imagine you're a manager. You have a large Serbian man who's been outstanding for you in front of the back four. Unfortunately, he's suspended. The equally large Nigerian man who sometimes steps in and some people don't like is injured. It's and- obvious. It's obvious what you do. You take a really young defender who hasn't played that much this season and you say, look, I know you haven't played in midfield before, but how do you fancy being the shield in front of the back four? And he says, may we, may we, I will do that for you, boss. And, uh, well, you know, who kn- I mean, it pays off because they won. If they'd lost, they'd say that was a stupid decision, wouldn't they? Matt, wait, are, are, we too, are we too sort of results-driven? I mean, c- can we say it's a stupid decision, even though they won? Or does it offer him automatic vindication? Difficult. I think there was a bit of scoreboard journalism going on yesterday in that Chelsea won, therefore Mourinho's a genius. Zuma didn't have a great game, but was allowed to get away with it because Tottenham were quite poor, I thought. I thought for half an hour they were excellent, and Zuma looked exposed and uncertain. But after that, Tottenham, I thought, were very, very ordinary and didn't respond after falling behind, which was, was very disappointing. Well, you... You, you see that, but then, I, I mean, one of the things that's impressed me about Mourinho this season is that after years of seeing him play with the four and then the two in front, you know, this year he's played the four, Matic, and then a very attacking player alongside him, like, like Cesc Fabregas. In many games, obviously he didn't do it against PSG, he didn't do it against Liverpool in the League Cup, he didn't do it here, so maybe for big games he prefers a two. But is it a case that, like, Matic is so immense that you can only trust playing Matic and... Fabregas together if, if Matic is there and then or sorry a holding midfielder and Fabregas together and if it's anybody else then you kind of need to play you know ditch one of your talking midfielders and, and go 4-3-3 and put Ramirez in there Oscar's had his sort of annual two months off didn't really merit starting and he's, he's effectively the man that Zuma replaced just think about games and view them individually having said that for all that this is a sort of reinvented Chelsea and they're more attacking when it comes to the big games, he just goes out to spoil and can't attack. We've seen it against Man City, we saw it at Old Trafford, saw it at PSG to an extent. He's very, very um, conservative in, in the games that really matter. Julian, are you on board on that? Is he very, very conservative in the games that matter? They played the way he wanted them to play to win the game. He was not really pretty. It was quite negative, I thought. And Zuma in midfield was was a negative choice in the first place. They, you know, they played with three centre-backs basically in that game I thought Zuma was completely lost in the first half and because Spurs was so disappointing in the second half it looked like he, he did okay I don't think he's the new Desai 
like Jose said after the game. Well, uh, it's like for those for those young uns who don't remember, Marcel Desailly, many many years ago, because he's extremely old, was a very good central defender for Marseille, and then he moves to AC Milan and people aren't quite sure where he's going to play because they had a couple guys like Baresi and Costa Curta who were pretty good and then Fabio Capello says oh I'm going to put you in front of the back four and you're just going to gobble up everything you see mm-hmm. and it worked he was kind of like what you know people in this country call the Makaleli role like it was really something Marcel Desailly did a long time ago so Mourinho referenced that and it was kind of like an homage to Fabio? It was an homage to Fabio, I think. And I'm not sure it was an homage to Marcel Desailly, though, because Kozuma can't score <laughs> the goal that Marcel Desailly scored in the European Cup final with Milan in 94, obviously. But in the end, it worked. You oh, can only say that it worked. It's going to look so stupid if Zuma scores the winner in the, Euro- in the Champions League final. True, but I can promise you it won't be the same one as Marcel Desailly did in the top corner. But it did work. And, and, and I, I really like Zuma. I'm a big fan. So... Uh, right now, I don't think he's got a future in midfield, but maybe he will become a wonderful midfielder and then it'd be credit to him and to Mourinho. But right now, I think it was a gamble that paid off because they won. I'm not so sure against West Ham on on Wednesday evening with Matic still suspended. We're going to have Zuma in midfield. For a half hour, it wasn't working at all and Spurs could have been ahead. I wasn't there and I think things do look different on telly to when you're there. But I off the telly, I picked up the vibe that Spurs didn't quite believe they could do it. Even even Ericsson's free kick, which was which was which was lovely, and you know, okay, you hit the woodwork. That's unlucky. There was just something slightly hesitant about them, as though they were. It was as if they felt that um, Zuma being played in that position was a trap of some sort, rather than a, an opportunity. I think they, felt, I think they were nervous about falling into a trap and being over attacking. I really felt Chelsea were there to be had a real go at in that first half. Uh, as soon as Spurs went behind, then everything changed and Chelsea are, 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 are masters at protecting that sort of lead in a big game. I guess the thing to remember is, for all the focus on Chelsea's and defenders' vulnerability, Tottenham are a team with Carl Walker, Danny Rose at full-back and Eric Dyer, who's being beaten up by Costa. So they, they're far more vulnerable themselves. Why are you oh, picking on all the English players? Because We talked about this on the way home last night with a colleague. I think there were eight... English play, England players on the field yesterday. The only one who was any good was one who was retired. Um, <laughs> which is a bit of bit of bit of a concern. Um, so I, I mean, I guess Tottenham were aware that they, had been, they themselves were vulnerable at the back, as, as was shown by the two soft goals they conceded. I mean, yeah, you, you, they, they, were, they were certainly soft goals, and I was just imagining it's got to be pretty gutting in the end the difference between the two teams is is a set piece that you defend badly and a deflected goal by Diego Costa is that. Uh, a mitigating factor for uh, for Pochettino? Not really, because he should have defended better and sadly shouldn't have given away the first free kick for Ivanovic. I was, I was disappointed with Spurs yesterday, actually. I think when you're at the game and they start well, the sort of narrative is Tottenham played well, we're a bit unlucky, but when you sit back and watch the game again, they only played well for half an hour and, and didn't capitalise on it. Julian, uh, Hughes just made it clear he doesn't like English footballers. Uh, you don't, you have no such biases, but I wonder if he doesn't have a, a, a point in the sense that Eric Dyer maybe has a great future. I'm not sure yet if it's at centre-back or at full-back, but you're playing against a team which is Gary Cahill and John Terry and Branislav Ivanovic. There's a lot of big people who are strong and powerful. Why did he leave Fazio on the bench? I think the, the pair of Atongen... 
Taya worked quite well recently. I mean, I've, I've seen them play together and, and, and I think Fazio is a bit of a liability and I think Vatongen, really? yeah. And I think Vatongen, especially on the ball, and I think Vatongen feels probably more at ease with someone like Daya next to him than with Fazio. However, facing Diego Costa, who Fazio and Vatongen played together in the 5-3 win at White Hart Lane, by the way, I think against Diego Costa, Daya was always going to be too naive, too young in a way, and with too much lack of experience to face someone like Diego Costa, who's by definition is the the most vicious player in the Premier League. And I think Fazio would have done much better with Costa than Dyer did yesterday. He's also much better in the air than also as well than Dyer. I mean, he's bigger, he's stronger. I'm wondering, is this Spurs season unraveling? Given that. Obviously, the West Ham game, which is just two huge points dropped there, and they were lucky to even do that. I mean, they could have easily lost that game out of Europe in the in the Europa League. Now this, a, what is if, if you're Pochettino, what do you do to stop the unraveling and continue chasing top four? I like Pochettino, and I have faith that he will make it work. I think what he has top to do... Top four this year, right? No, I think what he has to do is say, look, we we were sort of running on a, on a up an escalator that was going slightly too fast for us, and we were juggling too many competitions, and I was getting to know my team and trying to impose my philosophy, and it all came at once. It was all a bit breathless, and bits of it were exciting, and he has to turn around and say, look, we reached a cup final. That is a fantastic thing. We had one blip in Europe otherwise. They did in otherwise in the Europa League. They perform well. And he has to somehow make what's happened over the last seven what well, in, in that seventy two hour period or whatever it was, he has to make that a positive, not a negative. Now we can relax, now we can focus purely on reaching the top four, maybe overtaking Arsenal. You know, that'll give everyone a bit of a boost, wouldn't it? This is the test. I don't I don't think the defeat against Chelsea in the cup final means the season is now unravelling. I think it gives him a point at which to prove all the work he's been doing so far has more of an end product in sight than winning a piece of silverware. It is about the points gained at the end of the season. And, I mean, that's what Spurs have always lacked, is that sort of sense of solidity that they can challenge for a top-four place year in, year out. They've always had that sort of cup gloss to them but they've, they've never looked like a team that can be in the Champions League regularly and they ought to given the size and the history of the club and so I don't think it's unravelling I don't think we can say that yet I have faith that he might make it work Hughes, do you have faith? Are, are they moving forward? I think they are, I think when you look at the players they've got, I think Pochettino's doing the best he can to improve them I think that they need a, a good summer in the transfer market to um, get, out, get out a bit of the dead wood and um, Improve on a few, few, of the, the, few of the weaker links. The Who's backs, the dead word? Tottenham's fullbacks have been pretty, pretty awful going back five, ten years. To be honest, and they need more support for Kane. They can't expect him to be their only goal scorer. You know, Mourinho years are like dog years, right? Like it's, you know, we, we joke, but. This is his first trophy in two and a half years. It's a really long time for any mere mortal manager. At Inter Milan, when he went on his rant about all the people who don't win anything every year and how you have to win every year, and if you're not, you're a complete freaking loser. Well, obviously, he's had two years of winning buckets. So was this important for him psychologically, or do you think, actually, if there's one area where he never has problems, it's in terms of confidence and psychology. And so obviously he wanted to win it, but hey, even if he didn't, he would still go and win the league in the Champions League or whatever else. Yeah, a bit of both, I think. I think, you know, when he said on um, in the press conference before the game, saying that this is the most important final in my career, I think he had a point because people like him think that the next one is always the most important one and the, 
the last trophy is always the best one, you know. So I think you probably say in the f- next few days, you know, winning against Spurs was the the best trophy I've ever won. But also, I think he knew that it wouldn't look good on him to have lost that final. It's only two finals lost in in eleven before yesterday, before Sunday. And I think that considering all that time without a trophy for him, it's like you know a lifetime for other people. I think he, he knew that he would get a lot of stick for not winning something. Do you really think he'd get a lot of stick? I, I think he would have got some I, stick. I, I, I've been living in England for many, many years. I still don't find people who who give him a lot of stick. He wins. That's his raison d'etre. So if he's not winning, then why are you, why are you employing him? And I don't think he's going to get sacked for losing tomorrow. But if, in another world, Chelsea lose yesterday, Man City win, it's a two-point gap, he's going to be feeling big pressure because he, he has to deliver the mm. Premier League and one of the trophy this year. And... Now he's now he's he's half he's halfway there. Winning this early final means that everyone who now meets in the league will just have that extra element of oh he's you know he's the top strategist. You you know Chelsea often win games before the balls kick because especially at Stamford Bridge because teams just don't expect to beat them. It just adds to the aura and the sense of invincibility, doesn't it? it, it I think it is a good point though coming on the back of, of Burnley and and PSG. Uh, not winning this one would have, might have put a little bit of a, of a crimp in, in there. But I still think this Paris Saint-Germain return leg looms absolutely huge yeah. for him. Because, mm-hmm. you know what, if, if you get knocked out there, fine, you go, you win the Premier League because Manchester City are so god-awful, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you, you, it'll leave you with a sense that they could have done, they could have done more, wouldn't it? Just to mention, I think, for Nemanja Matic who did a John Terry yesterday and put his full kit on for the for receiving the cup. Uh, just why? Please, why? Jonathan Mikel, who also was, you know, out for that game, didn't put his full kit on, but Nemanja Matic did. And I, I just why? Why people do this? I, I've been told it's about sponsorship. I don't... I, well, I sounds... It works for Matic and not for Obi Mikel. Because Courtois and the gloves is maybe a bit different. Yeah, but please tell me about Courtois and the gloves because this is what gets me. <laughs> the dude sits on the bench for two hours. I presume he does not have his gloves on because unless you're Peter Cech, you don't sit on the bench with your gloves on, right? Can't, can't pick your nose. It's really hard. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't... It's difficult. Although somewhat erotic to scratch your bottom with while wearing goalkeeping gloves. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I've been told, Hughesy, come on. But what caught me was, you see him afterwards, and he's got the gloves on. And he's jumping around with the gloves on the pitch. And then he goes up the steps, and he's got the gloves off. And then you see him in the celebrations afterwards, and he's got the gloves back on. For the photos. But I don't understand. Like, they're on, they're off, they're on, the they're off. It's a sponsorship deal. He has to have them on for the photos, I think. What was Matic? There's, there's no sponsorship deal in him having the kit for, you know, to, lifting, to lift the, the trophy. And Mikel didn't, didn't do the silly, stupid thing of putting his kit on. when. And Alice Courtois was on the bench. Matic was in the stands. Why? Why are people doing this? Sterling for Liverpool. Picks out Coutinho. Oh, and Coutinho's picked out the corner of the goal. And for the second successive week, Coutinho has scored a quite extraordinary goal. And Liverpool now in front. Right, moving on to Anfield. Liverpool and Manchester City. I kind of feel like certain people have been slightly mocking Brendan Rodgers sometimes about the way he speaks, the way he's so little, he looks up at the camera, he looks like a, like a little gnome. 
I think I, I was looking at this, and obviously he's made mistakes, and every manager's made mistakes, but Liverpool play really good football. He plays a formation, which, you know, supposedly British managers, like, they only know two formations and alternate between the two. He's tried a zillion different ones. He's ultimately managed a squad that I, I haven't heard too many dissenting voices or moaners, even when the results weren't there. And, okay, they're out of the Europa League, possibly because of some choices he made. But then they go and they beat the defending champions. Allison, life is good. How much of this is down to Brendan? Well, it's not all down to Brendan, is it? I mean, there's a. I don't particularly see how you can lose one match then win the next match, but only when you win the match then suddenly you're a genius, but you sort of gloss over the defeat. Because Liverpool won and won convincingly and they played very attractive football, the the leap of logic is that Pellegrini could not cope tactically and Rodgers was very tactical. But both managers played the way they play. Rodgers didn't adapt suddenly to the formation in order to face City. It's a formation that's worked really well in the league over a few months now. So he did what he does. And City, who were visiting Anfield on the back of a disappointing result and generally having a few a few wobbles against against good teams didn't didn't make changes didn't seem to be if anything they were guilty city were guilty of arrogance they didn't seem to think they had to uh, contain liverpool and and they should have and that that was why liverpool's players were able to express themselves because city didn't seem to be giving them too much attention to try and stifle them whether that equals rogers being a genius i, don't, I think it means that that what rogers has been doing worked in that game i don't think ergo you can say Everyone who's ever had doubts about Rodgers was wrong because they beat Manchester City. Obviously, Rodgers isn't the only man responsible for that turnaround, but he is the architect of it, and I think he deserves quite a lot of credit. And if they finish top four this year, I think he's probably managed his year, and it's it's a better achievement than last season, to be honest, because the players they've got are not as good, and they're still getting results. Julian, I don't think that they'll be building a sort of an Anfield Mount Rushmore with sort of... Paisley, Shankly, Rafa and Rogers just yet underneath a 2,000 foot statue of uh, King Kenny of course but I'm kind of with Hughesy here he's he has turned it around and, and, and it's, it's a big job it's a difficult job it's not a very well assorted team he certainly has some of the, no doubt bears some of the responsibility about the way it's put together and the way things have happened but they do look good they're fun to watch they're people like 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 Henderson have, have, have come on tremendously. Coutinho, obviously. Should we maybe show him some love? I think so. More and love got, than Alisson's showing him? Yeah. And he's got Dejan Lovren at the back as well, which is obviously not, uh, not, not a gift. He wasn't bad yesterday. <laughs> no, he wasn't. I'm kidding. But he's been bad for, for the rest of the season. He's up against Aguero. You chase Aguero around for but, 90 minutes. It, it took him a while to adapt to the life without Suarez. In my opinion, he should have found a way quicker. But credit to him, he still found a way anyway. You know, whether that happened in November or December, it should have happened in August. But no one has taken more points than them since Christmas, which obviously, you know, and they've played big games, which tells you that they've, they've gone a long way. But I still think that the Pellegrini messed up more than, than Rogers did something special on Sunday. I think Pellegrini, that's how Pellegrini prepared the game. Well, the last league game we played, we won 5 0 against Newcastle. Okay, let's just stick with the same 11, starting 11, and go to Liverpool and do the same thing as we did against Newcastle. It doesn't work like this. It's not because you won 5 0 against Newcastle at home that you can play the same tactical okay. formation. I mean, the same starting lineup, the same formation with two up front, whether it's a flat 4 4 2, whether it's not really a flat 4 4 2. In the end, in that team, only 
Fernandinho and the back four defended against the most attacking team in the country. How can you expect your team to win when Yaya Toure doesn't defend, David Silva doesn't defend, Samir Najri doesn't defend, Edin Dzeko doesn't defend, and Sergio Aguero doesn't defend? Right, thank it's you, not, Robbie it's Savage. Not, no, 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 it's, not, it's nothing to do with Robbie Savage. It's the truth. Yaya Toure well, can't defend, and Fernandinho was the only one to defend against that Liverpool I think Liverpool the idea lineup. is that you, 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 you take the game to them, you score first, and then they keep coming at you, and you just keep scoring. And but it doesn't work. It, no, it didn't I, work, and it didn't work before either. It didn't against I, Barcelona and in the other big games where he played that formation before. It's not the first time he plays like this and they lose. I, I agree it didn't work. I, I personally would like to see more of of, of Navas, maybe a different sort of delivery to Dzeko if, if you're going to play him. All that said, though, Alisson, City had their chance as well, as terrible as they were. And ultimately, it was a wonder strike from Coutinho, which, while obviously he's done this before, it's not something you can budget for company offered further confirmation of the fact that he's not the same player today that he was that he was two years ago uh, I, I thought yeah 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 Torre certainly didn't he didn't, didn't do too much defending at all maybe those weeks off in the Champions League aren't helping him Nazri was abject you mentioned company Gavin I think he's particularly interesting because I think most journalists absolutely adore him because he's such an intelligent <laughs> bloke and he had his he's first, his first seasons in the Premier League he was such a, a astute and elegant and you know player Midfielder. of the season player of the season type of defender and suddenly he has an injury he has a succession of injuries the only reason I can think of why he's not the player he was is that he, he's he's Kept, keeps coming back when he's not fully, fully match fit, mm. and when when that happens, you're more likely to make one mistake. And then if you make one mistake, you 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 lose that, some sort of confidence. Can I- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Anyone think of another reason? Because when you're that intelligent to play, you don't lose that. You know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's physical mostly. I think yeah, it's physical, and I also think it's the pieces around him. And while this is not an aging squad necessarily, it is a squad where everybody's kind of the same age. The window of opportunity is now. You don't want a situation where everybody gets old all of a sudden. They spent zillions on their academy, and so far they haven't had too much help from the academy. Truly, I try to imagine what this team might look like. But going forward and, and, and what they need, is Samir Nasri ever going to be sort of consistently what he could be? Or is he kind of a lost cause and you take what you can get? Yeah, I don't know. I'm losing patience and I'm losing faith. Not that I was always a big fan, but I think he might have arrived to the best way 
that he can do, you know, it's like a good player, not a world-class player, but a really good player. And the problem with a lot of the City players is, is that they've got a grower in their team. So it's quite obvious, you know, especially in a game like yesterday, that you see the difference between how world-class Aguero is. Because he's the only reason why they stayed in the game yesterday. You know, that pass on the Jekyll goal is absolutely incredible. The other chances they've had are all Aguero's and often created by himself as well. Uh, like the one where Dejan Lovren tried to tackle him and, you know, ended up at the, the, the corner flag. And I think when you see Aguero playing and when you see Sami Najri, despite the fact that they play in different positions, you realise how one Aguero good he is and two, how Najri is probably not good enough if City want to win the Champions League and Najri can't start in a team that can win the Champions League. Page seven of the game today, one of the columnists suggests that maybe it is time to move on from Pellegrini and um, he suggests certain names Pep Guardiola they're obvious names to be fair Pep Guardiola but you're probably not going to shift him from Bayern Diego Simeone also a bit of a tough sell he comes to the conclusion of an old familiar face Rafa Benitez <laughs> <laughs> okay are you, you know? are you what's your take on this is this something that if Soriano or better yet if Khaldun comes to you and says ass and look frankly like Chiki is a funny name Soriano, like, he really doesn't know much about football. <laughs> what do you reckon, Rafa? What do you tell him? I always say yes to Rafa. I suspect Tony Evans, who wrote the piece, What You Are Talking About, he, um, he's just missing Rafa. We need Rafa back in, the, uh, in England, really. Would you have Rafa back if you wanted Manchester City to be the best no. team they could possibly? No. I wouldn't. I would go for someone younger. I would try probably to get someone like Rafa's Jürgen. young at heart. Jürgen Klopp. And I, I'm trying something different. I, I, I'm not sure that Rafa, on a long-term project for the future for a club like Manchester City... No, he's not a long-term project. But if you want but to win something in Europe, short-term, get him in. And now it's right, the window of opportunity is now for these players. That team, you can see them lining up in the final of the Champions League. That is, they have, they have some fantastic players. They just need someone to make sure they believe it. In our debate this week, I refer you to the decision by IFAB, the International Football Association Board. They're the people who look after the laws of the game. Uh, There's eight places on IFAB, and four of them have to go to the home nations for reasons which make no sense whatsoever. And before somebody says, oh, but we invented the game. Uh, Yes, if you're English, you can say that. If you're Scottish, you can say that. If you're Welsh or from Northern Ireland, I'd argue that no, you did not invent the game. So you shouldn't be there. But anyway, the other four places are kind of even worse because they're controlled by directly by Sepp Blatter. Now, this is the interesting thing. If you remember last June at the FIFA Congress, Blatter came out and he talked about the need for video technology and how maybe, I mean, he spoke of a system with two challenges perhaps per team where managers didn't like a decision. They could refer the referee to watch the video replay. So he kind of assumed that they would at least trial this given that he controls four of the votes and both England and Scotland had said that they were in favor of this and you need six of eight votes. Uh, But no, we didn't get that. In the end, they said, no, we're not ready to test. We need to do more talking first uh, and and set up a bunch of committees. Nobody here has a massive philosophical objection to video technology. I I assume. Oh, great. (laughs) Okay, so I guess we can debate that. (laughs) You do. Yes, I do. I do because uh, I would liken it to breast implants, mm-hmm. which 
Yes, breast implants. Were you talking about what? You're talking about like sort of aesthetic ones or ones that you do t- for medical reasons? Oh, aesthetic, okay. Okay. Aesthetic breast implants. And people thinking, whoa, you know, I can be a glamour model. Or men thinking, oh, my girlfriend's going to look so hot down the club. And then 10 years down the line, you find that they're all bad for you and you have to have them removed and, and you have the psychological damage and uh, you don't look as good as you thought you were going to and I am sure if we introduced video technology for a, a, an array of decisions in the short term there'd be a lot of happiness in the long term you, you would be completely unable to attract decent referees to the game and the game would die Why? Because you, the referees are there to control the game if, if, if you have someone in your ear in a truck with the video Technology okay. telling you, oh, you, you know, we're not sure, we're not sure, we're not sure that you should actually pull that card out right now, right now, Matt. You, okay. you know, you, you, you're just going to become a, a, a quivering wreck of a human being, and all the, the only people that want to be referees are people who don't have strong personalities. Okay. Uh, the opposite should be happening. Just let me. Find no, no, sorry, Alison. What we no, should I be doing is because you said something that's not true. <laughs> you said that this is one of the key tenets of why they're looking at this more, which is this: it's not somebody in your ear. Well, that's how they're testing it in no, Holland. No, that's how people in Holland decided to say, like, oh, we're going to test this, and let's invite Matt Dickinson over to show us our test with the idiot in the van and the screens. That's just one proposal. Blatter's system actually had challenges where it was the actual referee on the pitch who would look at the, who would look at the images so that he would retain control. Same problem. Same problem. Why? Hey, you are un- you are, you, as a referee, you have it's tough enough to add to it the fact that you will be instantly humiliated because something you've decided is going to be looked at at six angles and then overruled is just absolute insanity. Every other sport that introduced video exactly. it's improved the decision. I cannot even understand or having this conversation. It's so boring. It would make it better. There'll be teething problems. It will work. It should just it should have happened 20 years ago like it has in rugby, cricket and football and tennis. It's just madness. You know, cricket and American football, who have challenges, for example, which is the same idea that Blatter has. Those sports have benefited from video. You agree with that? Yeah, but I don't. That doesn't. That doesn't mean that football would. Just take the the offsides. So, like rugby, for example, is even the try of being scored or something like that. Take the take the offsides. It would be beneficial to have. You know, a camera just set up to see if the offside was right or wrong. I have no problem with offsides, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing all technology. I think, I think the referee being able to feel on his wrist whether the ball's crossed the line or not, and whether it's a goal or not, that's fantastic. That's uh, all that can do is make him seem more authoritative and for everyone to relax and know that the right thing has happened. And if it's possible, I don't know if it is possible, but if it's possible to have an instant offside decision made in a similar fashion, then that's absolutely fine. But all the interpretiveness of football, it's so different standing there on the pitch and knowing, knowing how fast the game is, what the mood of the game is. Sometimes, because handball, for example, is so tricky at the moment, the only way you can decide if it's deliberate or not is, is, is simply because you're there and you can see where the player is looking, how close the play is, how fast the ball is, the angle of the ball, the conditions on the pitch, is it wet, is it dry, is it bobbly? All those things, you can't, you can't, you, 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 you see them better if you're there anyway than if you're watching it on a screen. Some things, the truth isn't truth just because a screen shows you it. Sometimes you need to have that power to be interpretive and handle the game. What if you're there on the pitch and you have the power to watch it on a screen? Do you not get the best of both? Would you, would you really rather 
not know if you're a referee and you see it and you do have the power to then you yourself, knowing what you know about the mood of the game and the pace and the conditions and, and all this stuff, you yourself have the power. Yeah, if you, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. If if you can somehow be seen to be right. in control, yes. Okay, because you're saying that, that was the basis of the Blatter argument, and that's where it was different from the piece that Matt Dickinson did, which I'll quickly sum up for those who don't know. But in fact, when you actually break it down, it's not really that much of an experiment. It's basically it's a referee looking at a game in real time, looking at replays, and hypothetically deciding in which situations he would get into the official's ear and say, oh, by the way, Hans, you made a mistake. And it was this protocol that was set up. This is the other point. The referee in the van, the eye in the sky, if you will, would have to make the decision within 15 seconds. Now, anybody who knows a little bit about television or anybody who has a stopwatch and you know can be bothered to do this will know that there's, say, 30 cameras at a game. There's a director who decides which replays you get to see in what order and from what angles. That shifts the onus on, effectively, not on the referee, but on the director. If the director shows you the wrong replay, or maybe there's another replay which he physically doesn't have the time to see, you're not getting the full picture. And then maybe later that night on a highlights program, then they'll be like, oh, look, we found another angle which shows that Kurt Zuma actually did put his boot up uh, Christian Eriksen's rear end. Uh, You know, stuff like this can happen. And I think this is why I think FIFA were right for once to take a step back and say, guys, before we trial this in any real-time conditions, let's really think through the different protocols and not get railroaded into this by the Dutch. Because there's a whole bunch of issues here. There's an issue of protocol. There's an issue of of expense. Normally, when they trial things, they, they trial them at, you know, like the under-20 Women's World Cup or, or the under-17 World Cup. Well, that's great, but you need a bunch of cameras there. You can't just trial this in youth football because those games aren't on TV. So there's there's a million different things they need to think through. I would just move on quickly on, it's not really a debate, but uh, something to note that it wasn't a great round for um, English clubs in Europe, in fact, apart from uh, Everton uh, and the excellent Roberto Martinez. Chelsea drew against PSG, could have lost the game. Everybody else lost the game. City are pretty much out of Europe at this stage. Liverpool are out. Arsenal have an absolute mountain to climb and may well be on their way out of Europe as well. And Spurs are out. Normally, I hate doing this because there's a knee-jerk decline of this and that. And I can assure you that if you look at the UEFA coefficients, that England will not be losing a spot. Alison, is there a shift, do you think, in the way clubs approach Europe? Or is there, I mean, Ollie made the point that really, except for Chelsea, uh, there's no English club that's consistently shown an ability to do well in Europe over the last couple of years. Is he right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's... But there's, there, are, there are legitimate reasons for it. Um, there are good excuses for it. I mean, the, the, the Premier League is relentless. So you, you just, as a manager, you just don't have time to plot as cautiously and carefully as you might if you're in another division. Also, the expenditure in other leagues doesn't match the need for the, that expenditure. So you need to spend big to do well in the Premier League. You can spend big in one of the other divisions and you've almost like you've got a surplus, a surfeit of talent at your disposal to do well in Europe. Arsene Wenger said this week, you know, in, in England, we do not plan, we do not give our competitors in European competition any advantages at all so he plays Monaco they've played Friday night he hasn't played Friday night he's got an extra day's exhaustion to to factor into the equation in an already more 
demanding league. So there are all those factors which mean managers of English teams are playing catch-up slightly once they get to European competition. Analytics nerds will tell you that this whole extra day's rest thing is completely irrelevant to the outcome of games. It's just a myth, something uh, that managers invent to justify uh, their own team's failure when it's convenient. This business with the relentlessness of the Premier League, I don't know, Julian, if you've had the same experience, but to a man, almost every single person I speak to who's played in Spain and France or managed in Spain and France and then worked and then played over here, they'll tell you that Physically, the games are more intense, but actually, there's so much less pressure here. There's less pressure here because there's less media pressure because the media are kept away from the players, and players, if they're foreign anyway, they don't read the newspapers, so they could care less. You don't have fans coming to your house when you or, or stopping you at the supermarket and insulting you when you've played badly. You train in the morning, you have the afternoons off to go play golf or, or go hole up in a hotel room with a young lady. I, I, do you get the same response? I do, I do. Um, so there, there's actually less pressure here, mentally the, anyway. Yeah, probably, although in the top, top clubs, I think there's a pressure of, you know, of winning and trophies and all of that, which is the same in every country anyway. Right. But um, for me, it's, it's really... A no-brainer. I think a winter break would help massively the Premier League clubs in Europe, especially coming to those rounds end of February and you know and March, because I think that physically your body can't take playing three days, every, you know, every week since the start of August or mid-August. I think you can have a Boxing Day, no problem, and then have a ten days where players go for a week on holidays and then come back for light training and then getting into the you know the the groove again of of training and playing, but I think the no winter break at some point takes a toll on you. It has to, and you know there's no wonder you know, when you look at Bayern Munich they have six weeks break, you know which yes make them a bit rusty when they come back playing after that winter break, but still surely makes them physically stronger when you get back to the to the to the Champions League or at least in the quarterfinals for example. Enough of that. How about some quick hits? Southampton follow West Brom after going so far as to try a back three early on. Alison, is that sound we're hearing in the background the sound of the wheels coming off the great Ronald Koeman bandwagon? And does it make you sad? No, they're not coming off. I'm sure they're not coming off. They remain uh, defensively sound. They've only been beaten by worldies in the past few weeks. And sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, well, that was a fantastic goal. Obviously, they're having trouble scoring. Pele's gone right off the boil, but I have faith that Ronald will find a solution. It might not be Shane Long, but he'll find a solution. And Pele's still extremely handsome. So he says. Arsenal bounced back from the home humiliation against Monaco with a 2-0 win over Everton. Julien, are you surprised Olivier Giroud uh, especially showed no hangover from the midweek thumping? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. I think he's really strong mentally and it was good to, to see him score. Again, it happens sometimes when you miss you know, everything you're trying to get. It happens to strikers, to defenders, to midfielders, to goalkeepers, to referees, to managers, to everybody. So well done to Giroud, well done to Arsenal, although it was not pretty. But it could be a very, very crucial game in the season. I haven't counted them, but I'd estimate Everton are about a million points behind where they were last year. Uh, Matt, what's the problem? Because we were all raving about Roberto last season. Well, we might be raving about him. Quite a few of the senior English players are not, which is one of the issues. I also think there's an element of Everton having found their level. Even under Moyes, they found it very difficult to back up a good season. It often was Europe League qualification, then they sunk, and then they kind of bounced back. So I think a school of Everton size are always going to struggle to um, sustain momentum. 
Peter Crouch's headed goal propels Stoke past Hull and into another season of mid-table safety. Allison, he has now scored as many headed goals as anyone in the history of English football. Actually, I lied. Dixie Dean probably had more, but as we know, there was no football in this country before 1992. And of course, in case you're wondering, Alan Shearer obviously is the one who scored as many headed goals. Are you surprised? Uh, first of all, Dixie Dean hated being called Dixie, so stop that now. I'm not surprised, no, because... What's his real name? And uh, a voice in my ears telling me Dixie Dean's name was William Ralph. No, I'm not surprised, of course not, because he's uh, tall and he'll get to the ball, but I am surprised in the sense that I felt his heading technique wasn't all that amazing and I haven't bothered doing any homework, but I suspect um, headed chances to conversion probably isn't that impressive. Manchester United have another stinker, but nevertheless win 2-0. Uh, Louis van Gaal says Falcao and Di Maria need more time to adapt. Julian, you're a big fan and have never <laughs> doubted the man's talent. Uh, do you think van Gaal believes what he says about Di Maria and Falcao, or do you think he secretly wishes that they would disappear and, um, say, $100 million or so would materialize in their place? I don't think he believes anything he says himself. He's talking so rubbish. And it's his fault. Anyway, I mean, nothing is his fault with him anyway, but it's his fault if Di Maria and Falcao uh, are not performing as, as good as they should or as good as they could because his man- man- management with them and with a, like all, a lot of other things this season has been poor. Aston Villa falls at Newcastle 1-0. They haven't won a Premier League game uh, uh, since December 7th and have now lost seven in a row in the league. Husey, if you were terrible Tim Sherwood, what would you do? And don't simply say, not wear the gilet. Uh, probably finish my UEFA Pro licence and learn a bit about coaching and tactics. Ouch! I, I'm just wondering here, Husey, does your contempt for Terrible Tim surpass Julian's contempt for Fun Howe? Gab, I've got a quick hit for you. Gee, I am so looking forward to the start of the Major League Soccer season this Friday, but I hear there might be a strike. Please say that isn't so. The enthusiasm is palpable in your voice. <laughs> yes, that's right. One of the, the, the great mysteries to me is um, uh, MLS, which starts Friday. Right? They have, they have a salary cap of uh, around £2 million per team. You can go beyond that for certain players. But the point is the entire league last season spent something in the region of £58 million on wages. Now, they have a TV contract, which will earn them right around £50 million. And of course, they get gate receipts as well and sponsorship. Box office receipts, by the way, they averaged 19,000 last year. They're one of the, I think they're ninth place worldwide. And yet somehow they claim that they're losing $100 million a year. And therefore, the players can't have free agency. It's like being in England back in the the, the 80s under the old retain and transfer system. Um, It's completely bizarre to me what's going on. And so the players are saying, no, we'll sign a contract with you. But when my contract expires, I should be free to go sign with another team, which seems reasonable. And so that's why they're threatening to strike. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or the excellent Player FM for Android, please do so. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, Julian Lawrence, and Mr. Matt Hughes. Check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of their subscription. If you're not a member yet, you can take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Time Sport online. You can also take it tomorrow if you like, if that's more convenient for you. Uh, See you same place, same time next week. Bye-bye.
Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.